this uh, this month. Over this month, I want to um, do a short sermon series I've titled "After Exile." Everyone say "After Exile," and we're going to be spending some time in four four little books in the Old Testament, and they're really really good books. And I'm going to be encouraging you guys to uh, to read them over the next little while. It won't take you long. Um, the books are Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, and also two prophetic books attached to them, which is Haggai and Zechariah. And I said they're great little books in the Old Testament. And you may... Thanks. You're a good man. What is this? <laughs> put it onto the front. And put stuff under it. Can you... All right. There we go. Perfect. He is a good man. All righty. I'm set now. So th these books, although written thousands of years ago, I believe are really, really significant for us today. So uh, just this week I was talking to my son Joel, and I was talking about what subjects I chose when I did my HSC a hundred years ago. Um, and uh, if I had my time again, I wouldn't choose geography. Anyone else do geography? Who thinks that's a bad move? I, w I wouldn't choose geography. I'd likely take history. Uh, who do history? Was it good? Great. Good. Was it, Graham? Excellent. Uh, because history, I wouldn't, I, I did, I did three unit maths, just letting you know, just thumbs up from you, okay. Uh, but we can learn a lot by looking at the history of people. We can learn a lot by looking at the nations, the history of our families, TV shows are regarding, you know, where, where did I come from or looking at genealogies. We can learn a lot by our history. We can learn a lot by our looking at significant events that were pivotal to people or to nations, their growth or their decline, because each one has significant events, and, and sometimes it works well, sometimes it's destructive for the nation or a people or even a family. And we can, through history, we can, ex we can appreciate what they experience, and we can find some common ground in our own story. Now, this is especially true in biblical history. You see, the, the Jews believe that David was their greatest king, followed by their, his son Solomon. For Israel, they were the greatest, um, they were the golden years for Israel. All the, well, most of the surrounding nations were, well, no, they weren't conquered, but they were brought into uh, uh, alignment or to peace with, they found peace with all the nations. And uh, the temple in Jerusalem was built by, David couldn't build, but Solomon built the temple. And God finally had a, a physical dwelling place in the city of Jerusalem. The temple was the center of their faith. The temple was the center of their society, their education, their worship, their sacrificial system. The temple was everything, and that's how they experienced their God was through the temple. So if you, if you studied church history or, or biblical history, you see after Solomon's reign, the kingdom divided into two. We had ten tribes in the north, two in the south, and the books of Kings and Chronicles very matter-of-factly record the rise and the fall of kings and kingdoms. And um, in a period of 208 years, the nations, both nations, would have about 40, almost 40 kings. And only five of those kings would actually be kings that would be recorded of ones that pleased God. I can just throw this one. Five out of those 40 kings were, were kings that have got, uh, their hearts after God. 
And so God had repeatedly told the nation through the prophets that unless they turned from their evil ways, that they would be captured and sent into exile. That's the, the story, the biblical narrative through the books of Kings and Chronicles. And so, of course, did people listen to the prophets? No, they didn't listen to the prophets. So in 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire came and they captured and uh, the northern kingdom which of, of, uh, of Israel, the ten tribes. And then in 597 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar, you've probably heard of him, he came and he deported all the, all the royal people, all the uh, craftsmen, all the community leaders to Babylon. That's where the story of Daniel was, was we, we read in that first deportation starting at 597 where Nebuchadnezzar took all the cream of the crop uh, from Jerusalem. I'm falling apart here. Um, and then in 586, Jerusalem itself uh, fell and only the poorest people left. And so they left the poor people. They totally destroyed the walls of the temple. They, they, they knocked the walls down and they, they burnt the city to the ground. And so up to, over those exiles, up to 75,000 people were removed. It wasn't the whole nation removed. A lot of poor people remained. Up to 75,000 people were removed from their homes, their businesses and their families. They were cut off from their people. They were cut off from their culture. They were cut off from their temple. They'd lost their identity. They'd lost their hope. And many had lost their faith. And so a great psalm that gives us a glimpse on how these Jews in exile were, were feeling is Psalm 137. And any fans of Boney M would know this song. Any, are there any, actually, are there any fans of Boney M other than Andre and Deb? Do you want to sing it for us, Deb? No? By the rivers of Babylon. That's all you're going to get out of me. Stewie, I should have expected you. You're not going to sing it. By the rivers of Babylon. For all you young peeps, I'm talking about young peeps like me and younger. Um, I do know it. Um, anyway, you're going to Google it. You're going to stick it on your Spotify list. Paul's probably got it on his Spotify list already. Or your Apple playlist by the rivers of Babylon. Anyway, it's in the Bible. Uh, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept. This is, the, this is the feeling of a nation in exile. We sat and we wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of the poplar trees. Our captors demanded a song for us. Our tormentors insisted, saying... Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while we are in a pagan land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget how to play the guitar. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I fail to remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. Here we find a people cut off from their, their city, cut off from their people, cut off from their temple. And they are, they are grieving the loss of community. They're grieving the loss of an experience of God and a corporate gathering together. And in the midst of this captivity, God raised up prophets to, to let them know that, you know what, even though you are in this difficult space, I am still with you. And so there was prophets that, that came and spoke to them. One of them was Jeremiah, and he would say this hope. And I know all of you would know this passage. But you, well, I'll, you'll know one of these verses, but let me read the verses that lead up to it. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and I will do for you all the good things I have promised and I will bring you home again. What a great promise to those sitting on the banks of the rivers of Babylon, to those that are feeling lost and disconnected from their community and their homes. 
And then the next verse, this is the one you know. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster. Plans to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and I will bring you, uh, end your captivity, restore your fortunes. I'll gather you out of the nations where I sent you and I will bring you home again to your own land. What a great promise for a nation in exile. What a great promise for a people who are disconnected and, and, and separated from everything they knew and value. For, a, for those who are heartsick for Jerusalem, it was a promise that was conditional upon them walking in close relationship with God, conditional upon them really surrendering and pursuing God. And throughout Scripture, we always find that God's promises, they're conditional. God's promises always have a requirement for us to firstly believe them and secondly to partner with Him in our response to them. And so over the last little while, I felt that COVID, you know, I was saying, I did some maths the other day, just not, not proper maths, just looking at a spreadsheet. But um, I discovered that we've had 83 services since we first went into lockdown on March 29. 83 services. Of those 83, only 25 of them we've done, been done together. That was, and most of them were 22 of them between uh, March and July. And so, so we've been disconnected. And I'm sure, have you felt the disconnection? I'm sure you have. And I've spoken to people, that's the thing we felt is the disconnection from one another. And so in some ways, I believe the church, our church is one of the many churches are experiencing the same thing. People have been dislocated from their community of faith. We've been disconnected from our families and our friends. We've been isolated from corporate worship, which is one of the essential nature, the things that we love about our togetherness. In many ways, our corporate identity has been weakened. We felt weary, tired, and waiting for the day when we can come back together. This is just me. Anyone else feeling like me? Do you, do you, can you, am I resonating with how we've been feeling, what's been going on? Sadly, across the globe, many of those who've been separated from community haven't returned back to community. And so today for me is a great time of celebration. I am so glad that we can be here together and it should be a great day of celebration. But as we follow the journey of, of Israel from exile, returning from exile, I think there's so much more that God wants to show us. In fact, we're going to see that there's three returns from exile under three very different leaders. The first was under a leader called Zerubbabel. He brought the first return of exiles. Then there's another exile, another return uh, under Ezra, and a third return from uh, exile under Nehemiah. And we're going to touch on some of those over the next few weeks. But there's lessons we can learn from their stories. They returned and they faced a very different world to the world they left. They faced disappointments and discouragement. They faced opposition and they faced shutdowns. They, they wrestled with their identity. Who are we? They had to wrestle with a new temple that was very different to the first. They had great times of celebration. They had times of apathy and times of great repentance. And in the midst of this, God would speak to them through the prophets Haggai and Zechariah and, and encourage them and, and lift their eyes from what is to what can be. And so I want to encourage you over this month to read through those books. It would take you even probably half an hour, you'd get through pretty much all four of those books. And I want to have a read through them 
and pray that God will speak to us individually and us corporately as we learn to live after exile. Because I believe it's a journey for all of us to return, to renew, and to rebuild what God's asked for us to do here. And so, I don't have a clock on the back wall, and so I've got 12 minutes, which I'm happy to work with. Ish. So this morning, I want to briefly start looking at the, uh, at the first chapter of Ezra. Um, if you've got your Bibles, you can look it up. Uh, Ezra was a priest, he was a scribe, and he was his, an, an historian. Now, it, although it's uncertain, it's likely that the books of Ezra and Nehemiah were two parts of one work uh, written by Ezra. There's some questioning about that, but that's just a bit of interesting points for you. Um, he was a scribe and a priest. And so we find our story this morning about 70 years later. Everyone say 70 years. 70 years. 70 years had passed since Jeremiah's promise. And now we come to the fulfillment of God's promise. Babylon, the great empire of Babylon, was defeated by Persia. And now a new king comes to power. Ezra 1 verse 1. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout his kingdom. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem in Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives in Jerusalem, and may your God be with you. Wherever this Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold, supplies for the journey, and livestock, as well as a voluntary offering for the temple of God in Jerusalem. I just want to pause just there. I just wanted to, to thank you in a very practical way for your continued generosity to our church over these 83 weeks. Uh, as an eldership, we are so grateful to God who is our provider for fully understanding God partners with us. And so we're thankful for your generosity and your faithfulness. And I'm, I'm convinced that, uh, that as we give to God, that God would, the seeds that we scatter in other people's lives bear fruit in our own lives. And so thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your generosity. And so um, back to the verse here. In verse 5, Then God stirred the hearts of the priests and the Levites and the leaders of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple of the Lord. All their neighbors assisted them by giving them articles of gold and silver and gold and supplies for the journey and livestock. They gave them as many valuable gifts in addition to all the voluntary offerings. King Cyrus himself brought out all the articles that King Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the Lord's temple and placed in the temple of his own gods. The rest of that chapter is really a list of all the things that they took back to the temple or took back to Jerusalem. And so a few thoughts out of those verses I want us to think about today. Number one is that God is a promise keeper. Tell a person next to you that God keeps his promises. If you haven't got someone near you, yell it across the lawn, Leanne. Thank you. God is a promise keeper. Now, we live in a world where there's so many people make promises and not all of them come to pass. I mean, meteorologists, they don't make promises, but they make, they'll say it's going to rain, which I better hurry up. But um, politicians make promises. They're known to make promises that they never keep. And I think that's really sad. 
that, that we live in a world that questions promises or promises are given out so lightly. Um, spouses stand at an altar and, and, and promise for better or for worse. And then all sorts of situations come and, and, and the promises aren't kept. And this is, I'm not making any judgment call here. I understand that life is messy and difficult. But I'm, what I'm trying to understand, we live in a world where promises, you can't always bank on promises. Now, kids, I'm, prom- I'm going to promise to clean my room. Does that work, parents? No. We, live a, we make promises to, to each other. I'm not going to do that again. And our best intentions are not the same. So over time, we tend to get a bit skeptical. Maybe we get ambivalent when people promise us something. We say, okay, I I appreciate your intent and your heart, but I'm really doubting that you're going to deliver. And so this this passage reminds me of something so important, that God always keeps his promises. Even when things and circumstances look so uh, different and the promises seem a long way off, let me tell you, I want you to go home remembering God is a promise keeper. His promises will come to pass and his timing is perfect. I've discovered his timing is not my, his ways are not my ways. His timing is not my timing. But I tell you what, I'm so glad that I wait for his promise. And I often tell people who are frustrated between the promise and the provision, I say, hang on, don't give up to what God said, on what God said. When the door gets shut on that job, or your children respond in a way you, you, you don't wish them to or want them to or, or your, a circumstance happens, I want to encourage you, don't give up. If God's promised you something, when, when those doors get shut or your circumstances go so wrong, it seems to go so wrong, remember that God is a promise keeper. Our faith is in a God who keeps his promises. Not only can we trust his promise, we can trust his pathway that he leads, his, leads us on and we can trust his perfect timing. God told Israel through Jeremiah it would be 70 years that he would come and he would bring them home again. And he did it. Friends, God is a promise keeper. I don't know what it is that you're holding on to. I don't know what promises it is that God's spoken to you about for you, for your family, for your business, for your friendships. Can I tell you, God is a promise keeper. And if he has spoken it over your life, I can assure you, as his word would say, that he watches over his word to fulfill it. So for you this morning, I want to, I'm going to pray right now. If you're here right now and you're, and, you're, and you're in a situation where you're hanging on to a promise from God, just give me a little wave. I want to declare God's goodness over you. Anyone this morning, a situation and you're hanging on to a promise from God, thank you. Anyone else would say, Mark, that's me. Thank you, thank you. I know many of you are here this morning who've got promises from God and a promise that the rain won't come for five more minutes. And so... Uh, Lord, we just, I just pray for every single one this morning, Lord, who's hanging on to that promise. Lord, you've spoken to them, and Lord, I pray this morning they would rediscover that you are a promise keeper, that you are true to your word. Others may have let them down. People may have let them down. Husbands or wives or children or parents may have let them down, but you will not let them down because you are a promise keeper. You will never fail them in Jesus' name. That's my first thought this morning. God is a promise keeper. Number two, and I've only got 20. No, I don't. Joe, don't, yeah, don't have to laugh, Joe. I appreciate it, but really. So. <laughs> number one, number two, God's ways are not our ways. What I find fascinating is, if you, if you know the story of David and Solomon, um, did God allow David to build the temple? <coughs> no. 
God would not allow the greatest king in Israel to build the temple. It was built, Solomon had to build the temple. And so it's fascinating here that God appoints Cyrus, a pagan, ungodly, unholy king, to build the temple. That surprises me. Um, but I've discovered God always, oh, he often surprises me. And my, yes, my experience is that God is a promise keeper. But I also discovered that God's ways are not my ways. I remember when God spoke to us five years ago uh, regarding, regarding resigning our church in Shepparton um, and coming here. I had it all worked out that, well, when God spoke to us, I didn't know I was coming here. I just had to resign. But I had it worked out how it would look. I had, okay, God, if you're asking me to resign my church in, in Shepparton, and, uh, I, okay, I reckon it's going to look like this and this and this. And God's ways were not my ways. And I'm so glad. I'm so, someone was just asking me this week, Mark, aren't you glad that you came to Shepparton? Tongue in cheek, aren't you glad you came to Newcastle? And I said, absolutely. I'm so glad that God brought me to this family here. And I love you guys. And I love the opportunity that we have as a church and as a community to come together and to change the world. But you know what? God's ways are not my ways. And it was God surprised us when he brought us here. It was a great surprise. In fact, last weekend was five years from when we came and you uh, and we were interviewed, just so you know how long it's been. <coughs> God often uses unlikely ways, unlikely situations, and sometimes unlikely people like Cyrus to bring about his promise. And sometimes we can close our mind and say, God could never do that because of my situation, because of my boss or my parents or my family or, or whatever. We, we, we discount that God can do anything. If God can use a pagan king like Cyrus to bring about his perfect plan to bring his children home again, could it be that God can use something unexpected in your world, something you weren't ever considering that God could bring a miracle into your world through something out of the box? Don't reject out of the box. The Jewish people, they were looking for their Messiah. They were looking at a very narrow view on what Messiah had to look like. And they didn't see that Jesus came outside their box. And they, and they missed the revelation of the goodness of God in Jesus because they, they, they failed to see and discover that God doesn't always come the way we expect. Last thought. First one is that God is a promise keeper. Second one is that God's ways are not our ways. And my last one, where I'll end this morning, is that it must start in the heart. Tell the person it must start in the heart. Ali's great with her alliterations. I'm good with my rhymes. That's what I reckon. Twice in this chapter, we come across the phrase, God stirred the heart. Firstly, he stirred the heart of Cyrus. Secondly, he stirred the heart of the priests and the Levites and the leaders of the community. I believe God's plans for our lives often start in our hearts. It starts with the stirring of the Holy Spirit on the inside. The reality for the people of Israel was that God was about to fulfill his promise, but it required their hearts to engage. The nation needed leaders who were willing to stand up, leaders who were willing to sacrifice everything and help rebuild the nation. God needed a people to, uh, not all the people returned from exile. God needed a people willing to face opposition because they would face opposition. God needed people who were willing to do more than just turn up. He was looking for people who were more than just willing to head back to Jerusalem because it was the new fun thing to do. People who would give up when the going gets tough. God needed a people to do whatever it takes 
to return and rebuild his temple and his city and to bring the transformation that was needed to restore worship in Jerusalem and worship in the city. And I guess this is where I want to end my message today. You know, there is work to be done. I believe God, I believe God has a plan for us after exile. But there is work to be done. It's not going to be easy. As I said, I, I think that COVID has, has weakened walls of our city. We'll talk about that later. Walls of our community. I believe COVID has, has injured relationships and, and a whole range of things that have been happening, not by intent, but that's the work of the enemy working when we are isolated and disconnected. And I believe that uh, it, there is work to get done. It'll take time. I believe it will take time for us to rebuild our church community. It will take time for us to restore a great sense of identity for who we are because we haven't been who we are corporately for uh, 60, 50, some 55 weeks of the last 83 weeks. It will, wait, it will take time to bring healing to relationships that have drifted. I just saw Kaylin back there. Is it your birthday this week, Kaylin? Happy birthday, Kaylin. Don't want to embarrass you. It's all right. It will take time. They will need to give forgiveness and receive forgiveness. Friends, there is work to be done. There are wounds that need healing. There are people that, that have stopped dreaming because COVID has shut their ability to dream down. There are people that need to dream again. There, are, there will be ministries that need volunteers. There, there will be opportunities to serve and to give and to bless others. There will be challenges and opportunities that lay ahead of us. But I know that God will be at work. I know that God is already doing something supernatural in our lives, reshaping us and rebuilding us. The last verse I want to read is out of the book of Zechariah. And you probably heard this verse sometime. But this, the context of this is a, a word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the first leader that brought the people back from exile to a destroyed city. When they got back, it wasn't the city was just sort of run down. It was devastated. The temple walls were knocked over and burned to the ground. It was far worse than they ever expected. And this is the word of the Lord for those who are experiencing something which is worse than you expect. The Lord would say, it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The task that God has for each of us to rebuild this community and to reestablish our identity as a beacon of hope for our city, that task that is set before us is not going to be accomplished by, by uh, us just our own efforts or our own power or just turning up after exile. I believe it's a sovereign work of the Spirit of God, that God stirred the hearts of Cyrus, God stirred the hearts of the, of the leaders and the priests and the people of Israel, and I believe that God wants to stir your and my heart this morning. So uh, that's what I'm going to pray over you this morning. I'm going to pray that, uh, that God would stir us, that, that the journey ahead of us will be a journey where we sense God's presence and God's power in a greater way. And that word that Pat brought was so wonderful for us because God is about to do something, but God always partners with people. And God's looking for a people with a heart that is stirred. God's not looking for a people who are just going to turn up and just do it just for the sake of it. The same old, same old. God's looking for a people whose heart is stirred to pursue him, stirred to gather, stirred to worship, stirred to, to, be a, to be all he's called us to be outside this beautiful property in the world, in the, in the community, in the gyms, in the schools, 
that God has us. So um, that's what I'm going to pray. So if you're able, why don't we stand? Alrighty, I'm going to pray. So Father God, I just thank you for the story of Scripture. I thank you that in it we've seen a people that have been brought back from captivity and brokenness and despondency and disconnection and isolation and the people who came back to live a life after exile and Lord I just pray that we as a church community as we move to a season after exile that we would be encouraged by your word and by your spirit Lord may, may we understand that what you're calling us to do and who you're calling us to be is, is can only be a work of your spirit inside our hearts and so Holy Spirit I pray stir me Stir my heart, stir my heart with a greater love and passion for you, a greater love and passion for others, a greater love and passion for our community and the people around us. And Lord, I pray for all of us that you would stir us. Lord, unsettle us. Lord, help us to be willing to, to stand up and to be part of the team that rebuilds your, uh, your people in this place. And Lord, we love you and we thank you that you are at work already. And I thank that, that he who began a good work will fulfill it in Jesus' name. Amen.